This episode is brought to you by Peak, the blockchain for real-world applications and home of DPN. If you think it's time for Web3 to get real, check out their website at peak.network. That's P-E-A-Q.network. All right. Hello, everyone. Daniel from DPN Hub here. And today we have the honor of interviewing Alex from Demo. Demo is actually one of the OG DPN projects before it was actually called DPN, right? Remember, we met actually in person September last year when everybody was still yeah. talking about Tipping or a different name, DY, you know, things like that. You guys have came, yep. come a massive way. It's been like a pleasure following through the journey so far and seeing what you guys built. And I'm super excited to, to see what you guys are still going to build from now. Maybe to get started, can you describe on your own words uh, what Demo is? Yeah, th well, thanks again for having me on, Daniel. And yeah, we've been we've been working together and talking for a long part of the demo journey. So it's been awesome to to do that. But what is demo? We're building a decentralized connectivity platform for vehicles. And most people aren't used to the idea of really thinking about a connected vehicle or what even a connected vehicle platform is. So I'll explain what that is really quickly. Um, today, any new car that gets made, just about any new car, it comes connected to the internet. Meaning, you know, when Toyota rolls it off the line or Tesla rolls it off the line, it comes with a little you know, cellular modem and it can send data to the cloud. Now, what happens is that each automaker has built their own connected vehicle platform. Tesla has their platform, Toyota has their platform, Ford has theirs, and on and on and on. And there's, you know, depending on how you want to count it, 25 or 30 major automakers. What do these connected vehicle platforms do? Well, that's how they decide, you know, that's how they mediate the data being sent from car to cloud. And more importantly, it's how they permission control to the cloud so that developers can build applications with that data, with that connectivity. So if you have a car that has a remote start function in the app or a lock unlock function in the app, like I do with my Toyota, it's because that app is built on the Toyota connected vehicle platform. So what is Demo building with all these OEMs building their own vehicle platforms? We're building an open and neutral one which means you can connect any car to the platform, a Toyota, a Tesla, a Ford, and any developer can build whatever application they want for all of those vehicles. So what we're doing is we're taking a very siloed industry in the automotive industry, and we're creating an open platform that developers can build on. That's awesome. So do you envision that in the future, all the cars are going to be connected to this demo network? And what does that mean as well for, for myself? Let's say I, I get a demo device, I connect to my car. What are the advantages and, and the benefits of having that? I can think about yeah. many of them, but I'd love to hear from you. Yeah. So we certainly hope that one day every car is connected to demo, but you know, there's about 300 million cars in the U.S. alone. There's something like 1.5 billion vehicles in the world, around the world, globally. So, and, and that's just, you know, passenger and, and delivery, you know, trucks, not even counting you know, scooters and things like that. So there's a lot of vehicles out there. It'll be a long time before we have them all connected. But the idea is, you know, if you buy a Toyota, you basically get one app. You and I, we might be different drivers. I might have kids and be sharing my car with my kids you might, you know, want to take your, you know, let's say you buy a more fancier Toyota, you might want to take it to the track and do performance driving. I care about safety, you care about performance, but we get the same app. It's kind of the antithesis of like the world that we are in today, which is, you know, you like to listen to top hits. Well, maybe you listen on Spotify. I like to listen to up and coming artists. I want to listen on SoundCloud. Every, pretty much every domain that we experience the world in 
especially on the internet, we can find apps that are customized to us. So the idea behind Demo is that we can invite developers to build all of these flavors of connected vehicle application that the world wants. Because Toyota is not going to make 10 different versions of their app, but other developers might. So what we're doing today is, is the team that's building both the, the Demo platform and the protocol, we're also developing the first application on Demo, which is the Demo mobile app, we call it today. It's actually really a separate product from the platform. We have about 25,000 cars that are connected through the Demo mobile app today around the world. And in that app today, you get to store a little data about your car. So you store some of the information from, you know, let's say the engine or, or fuel level. You can scan for error codes. And for us, what we're most interested in building into our application is really like a friendly companion for car ownership. So not only do you get some data, but you can actually book maintenance through our app. You can refinance your car. You can explore new applications like offsetting your car's carbon with a carbon offsets partner. So for us, it's really all about making the kind of the friendliest car companion. And hopefully there'll be other applications for those performance drivers, for those families, for whatever kind of flavor of car owner you are. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, first thing I want to say, congrats on the app and on the website. The graphics, the user experience is, it's amazing. Maybe can you give a little bit of a background on yourself and your team as well, the founding team? Great guys. I yeah. really like you. Thanks. Yeah. No, it's, I, you know, it's pretty much uniform, I would say, across the deep end space. Like there's a lot of really great people building in this, you know, little corner of the, of the crypto world. My background, I've been in tech startups my whole career. So I've always been in and around, you know, really kind of cutting edge tech. I'm a salesperson by trade. So, you know, that's, that's where I have spent my time mainly helping enterprises build on platforms like Demo. But I came from the IoT space, from the crypto space, the chain analysis, and my co-founders, you know, complementing my IoT and uh, crypto background come from the auto industry. Rob was at Room and Yevgeny was at Ford and other automakers and Andy worked in the mobility space, at TransDev. So all of us have this blend of crypto and mobility or uh, automotive experience that really lends itself well to what we're building. Yeah, they can definitely see this like a, a team of uh, ninjas or rock stars, especially for building yeah. this product. It's definitely not an easy challenge what you guys are up against, right? But uh, yeah. I think you're succeeding. It's really being excited to see that. What kind of cars can I plug on this, the demo devices? Yeah, we pretty much say just about any car. And that comes with kind of a, an asterisk. So one, we don't allow Teslas to connect via the hardware at all. And that's because the Tesla API is so good. So we just say, don't even bother with the, with the hardware, connect right through the API. In fact, if you have a Tesla, you can download the Demo mobile app and get connected. It should take no more than five minutes for you to go through the whole process, creating your account, setting up your wallet, getting your Tesla connected. But, but back to the hardware itself, today we're seeing you know, basically any car from 2008 and up Nothing special happened in 2008, really. I mean, there were some slight tweaks to the OBD2 standards, which is the kind of car communication protocol standards. But those changes had been in motion. I mean, the OBD2 protocol had been set in stone in 1996. So there's nothing to stop us from going to cars further back, other than the fact that each car has sort of a unique language that it speaks. You know, one Toyota RAV4 to the Toyota Sequoia even could be different from the same automaker, but 
their CAN bus, their, their communications will be different. So we have been going through the painstaking process of mapping the language of each and every vehicle. And it just takes us to go further back in time. You know, it takes us you know, finding all those older vehicles, mapping their communications protocols, and then being able to decode the data that they actually send us. Are you guys going to build something um, that the community can also help uh, map those information? Absolutely. Yeah, we, we recognize that, you know, even our team of ninjas <laughs> is not going to get all of the, the vehicle data, vehicle decoded ourselves. And right now, our team's focus is very much on using our like we're, we're in the process of decoding some cars right now. And the goal is not just to add those cars to what we can connect and improve the data from those vehicles, but also to create a process that we can open source. And we've started to see this in the last few years. There are, you know, garage hackers and decoders that have started decoding vehicles. It just hasn't really happened at scale in any way. So we're hoping to support some of that. And frankly, that's one of the biggest areas that we're looking for more help in, in terms of, you know, what, what the community can help with. So, you know, for anyone who has decoding experience, that's something that the demo team is really looking for. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to happen as the project grows and more people get involved. Let's say, for example, I have an old car and newer car. Maybe my my newer car is going to work automatically, but then I get so excited about seeing this data that I want to see also my older car. Uh, I have a little bit yeah. of background of engineering, so I'm going to go, or I'm going. I if I don't, I'm just going to go out of my way to learn. So I think that's also right. super super exciting. One thing that I would like to touch base as well is in the fact of in the fact of composability. Composability, for yep. those who don't know, it's actually when different projects use their other projects' infrastructure to to deploy their their project, right? I don't know if that yeah. uh, is the best way to explain it, but for example, with the latest devices, the Macroons from Demo, they're they're transmitting information from your car using the Helium network. So immediately, you, yep. right now, you're gonna have like thousands of devices transmitting data through Helium, or a partnership you had with Streamer or Natick. Actually, on the Natick's angle. I just saw yeah. that you guys announced a pretty good, interesting partnership. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that partnership and give its background and how it's going. Yeah, the Natix, well, I'll, I'll touch on the Natix partnership and composability more broadly. Um, Natix team is super cool. I, you know, I've had a number of conversations with Ali Reza and Rockley and others over there. Love what they're building. There's a couple of reasons, there's a couple of areas where our visions are very much aligned. We've both sort of embraced this idea of creating an open source digital twin of the world. So in our case, you know, when we create, when, when a user, actually, it's not us, we're, we're providing the infrastructure, but um, when a user uses Demo to create their vehicle, uh, what they're effectively doing is creating a digital twin of the vehicle. It is created as an NFT on the Polygon blockchain. That NFT is connected to data that is stored in the cloud. And you have now this living and constantly updating uh, digital twin. Uh, Chainlink put out a tweet not too long ago that um, shared the idea of a dynamic NFT of a car that's updating over time. It's like, we already built that Chainlink. Like it's live uh, today for Demo for the last uh, year and a half, actually. Um, it's not a theory anymore. But anyway, we want to create a digital twin of the vehicles. And, and Natix wants to map a digital twin of the world and the infrastructure around those vehicles. And so... Talking talk about a you know complementary vision, we're all both about empowering users to help create this digital twin of the world. And why are these digital twins so important? Well, you know we touched on it a little bit earlier from the demo perspective. You can 
create applications for vehicles more easily and more openly if there's an, an open digital twin. But if you start to layer on some of the data that say Nadix is collecting, like how those vehicles are interacting with the environment, you can really expand the scope of like what you're representing digitally and then what developers can build. So a couple examples, the area that I think a lot of people are going to see a lot of um, innovation in is this V to X world where your vehicle is communicating with the outside world, whether that's a parking meter or a toll booth or an electric vehicle charger, all of these things can interact and having both the you know data-driven digital twin from Demo and the image driven digital twin from Nadix is really complimentary. Right now, the partnership, like we're still super, super early in exploring what that would all look like. But the partnership today is really like, if you're a driver who is into these technologies, who's like equipping your car, whether you want to think of it as drive to earn or just think of it as exploring early stage tech, you're probably going to like Nadix if you like Demo and vice versa. So we're really excited about working with that team and kind of developing the vision together. Uh, composability, you know, Talk about a rant here, man. Um, <laughs> composability is super interesting. Obviously, we're doing it now with the Demo Macron and, and Helium. But I think where composability is going to get super, super interesting is when we start to see DPIN connect with DeFi. In the US, there's about $1.5 trillion of vehicle loans. <laughs> people talk about DeFi and they're all excited about people lending from each other, but it's just a bunch of crypto degens borrowing money from each other right now. <laughs> like they're, they're, you know, zero sum basically. Um, until we start applying some of these real world use cases to DeFi and making those feasible, then, you know, DeFi is going to have a ceiling that we just can't, you know, break. And so if you can imagine putting a car loan on the blockchain, well, you have verified data from the car that it's you know working and still in good condition. You want to get the car title on the blockchain, and we're speaking with people about that, other teams, so composability there. And then you start plugging it into DeFi, and all of a sudden you have a system that can go not just from you know hundreds of millions in TVL, but to billions and billions and maybe even trillions of TVL. Yeah, man, and this gives me the goosebumps, you know, it's so exciting, <laughs> the, the possibilities that we're going to see now. And I think it's really nice to see like how the deeping started and how it's going yeah. and how it's going to merge with, with DeFi. I, li I like to say that deeping is the gateway drug to Web3 in a way that we're going to onboard yeah. thousands and thousands Definitely. of people into crypto without they knowing that's crypto. I think that's the beauty of it, right? We don't want people to be like DJs. We want people to actually, yeah. my mom have a demo device and she's making a little bit of deep tokens, but also getting the upside of having the device without the information provided by it, right? Yeah. And that's something we think about a ton. Like from, from our perspective, there's two major things that we want to improve in order to like get our product at least to the point where we believe it's fully mainstream adoption ready. The first is that wallet infrastructure and the way that we handle wallet onboarding is still still not ideal for the for the non-crypto person. In the demo mobile app today, you can connect in the outside wallet with Wallet Connect, which neat tech, but not the most reliable. And then Web3 Auth is also neat tech, but not the most fully featured. We're really excited about kind of innovations like, like account abstraction and and you know, can envision a world where that is deployed and, you know, you kind of layer in some pass keys and all of a sudden you have a really nice onboarding experience. So hopefully in the next year we can <clears throat> migrate from some of these, like, I don't know, Web 2.5 or like not quite seamless experiences to something more seamless. 
And then the second area that we really want to improve, you you know, you touched on it with like, you know, can your mom earn some demo tokens? More importantly, what can your mom do with those demo tokens? So today you can earn demo tokens by connecting. You can earn demo rewards in the marketplace. Rewards and tokens are the same to us. We just call them rewards, make it a little more consumer friendly. What we're really excited about is when you can spend those rewards in the marketplace. So whether you're buying an oil change or paying for some maintenance or paying for insurance, our goal is to make it so that it looks and feels, the demo rewards looks and feels just like a SkyMile point for your car. Yeah, that's amazing. Especially because we, as customers, we produce a lot of value, right? And then we, usually mm -hmm. the company yeah. that take advantage of those values without us taking any advantage of that. Yeah, this is freaking exciting. When when do you <laughs> see the next bull run happening after that? Because everything that's going, it's it's getting there, I, I think. Oh, man. You know, I've been in crypto now for about six or seven years, and I still don't have the crystal ball on, on the next bull run. Certainly the, the, the sentiment in the air these days, whether you're looking at the positive things like, you know, all the ETF rumors or, you know, even, even stuff like the Binance settlement, I would call like a pretty positive thing. You know, it's, you're out from under the overhang, so to speak. There's, if, if you're somebody who's focused on bull and bears, you know, momentum, then it feels like the momentum's a pretty good time right now. For us as builders, we pay a little bit, you know, I know you guys are the same way. You guys have been fucking building through the, through the bear market like crazy as have we pay a little bit less attention to that. <clears throat> For us, it's all about like, when, when do the solutions take another leap forward? And we can try to attach these market forces and sentiments to bull and bear runs. But ultimately, I think it comes down to like, when do products make a leap? And the last time we had like a really exciting run, it was all about, you know, NFTs. And that was a new and novel thing for people to touch and feel and get their hands on. And I think that the deep in category as a whole is coming really close to like putting up the number of products that are out there where you could have that kind of momentum, where you could have 10, 20 different products that all of a sudden inspire people to pay attention to crypto again, who maybe checked out and say, oh, wow, there's some new stuff here. Yeah, I do think those who have been in crypto for a while as well, I've been in crypto for, I don't know, 10 years, 11 years. And yeah. I, I kind of like stopped thinking too much about the market, to be honest. I have yep. a little, like, I just hold my a couple tokens that I have and I focus on building because I think that's actually what the value is, right? We at Hotspotty and now Deep in Hub, we've been actually building nonstop for the bear market, trying to find ways to actually survive because we believe in the future of the Deep in ecosystem. We believe that if we continue building, continue providing value, we're going to take, like, we're going to get somewhere, we're going to help the whole ecosystem uh, grow together. And on that note, you, Demo is built on Polygon, right? What do you know? What was the process? What was the thought process to get to that conclusion, or that decision? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh to totally. I mean, there's a number of things. There was the requirements we were looking for, of course, and then there's like what Polygon brought to the table. And you know, we started building our smart contracts about two years ago at this point. So, one, we've been big believers in the EVM world, not maximalists, like. I own other, I own other, you know, L1 tokens and most of the other team does, but we've, you know, seen just like the, the wallet share and developer share of the EVM world is super high. Polygon has sort of an aligned mission of, of getting many, many, you know, millions of millions of people onto crypto who 
know, bringing that ma mainstream adoption forward. They've leaned into that very heavily. As far as EVM chains go, hard to do on, you know, hard to build directly onto Ethereum, gas fees, et cetera, polygons cheap enough, fast enough. But much more importantly, you know, we have wanted from the very beginning to and you know position Demo towards truly decentralized governance. And Polygon had all of the governance tools built in already, Tally and Snapshot and you know whatever you could want from a from a governance perspective was already there. So from our perspective, it was a fairly easy choice. If you wanted, you know, believed in the EVM thesis and wanted to do the best job at governance that you possibly could, then the option was Polygon at the time. You know, we at this point, people ask us still, like, are we going to stay on Polygon? What's the plan? Like, we have no plans to move. We are constantly exploring other L1s and, and, and keeping our eyes out for the innovation that, that's happening. But, you know, all, all the stuff we're looking for is stuff that pretty much everyone's working on. Um, yeah. Account abstraction and better onboarding wallet experiences, ZK, tech, like maybe we build our own app chain on, on Polygon or something like that. But so far, we've had a really great experience building on Polygon, working with the Polygon team. Yeah, it's been a great place for us. Yeah, no, I like to think of, I like Polygon and I like to think that the infrastructure layer, as long as it provides everything that you need, doesn't really matter, right? As long as it's like fast, secure and cheap to transact between the users and, and the wallet, it's it doesn't matter in the end. It's just like the yeah. infrastructure they're building on top of that. Peak is a layer one blockchain designed to power Deepins. Why do Deepins choose to build on Peak? It's fast, scalable, low cost offer builders are ready to deploy Deepin SDK and it's multi-chain. So when you build on Peak, you're building for all Web3. Peak is home for the fastest growing Deepin projects with more than 100,000 vehicles and devices deployed, over a dozen Deepins already building and the world leading device manufacturers such as Boss partner with them. Think of building a Deepin, Peak has a grand program for Deepin builders. If you're listening to this, remember, you're early. The Peak Network will launch in the first half of 2024. Check out Peak's channels for more details and links in the podcast description. Can you talk yep. a little about the demon tokenomics, like the model you guys use, allocations, demand side, etc.? Yeah, the demo tokenomics, <laughs> it's kind of a funny way to put it, but I would actually describe them as fairly, fairly boring. <laughs> that's you good. Know, and, and that's... That's a design choice. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think about uh, talking again about the like history of crypto. I think back to, you know, the ICO boom and everyone wrote these 50 page papers on tokenomics and how it was all going to work. And the pendulum swung back way the other way. And it was like, just launch your token, figure it out later. And there was sort of like a, you know, kind of a running gun mentality to it. And I think we've landed now in a much kind of healthier place which is like create a minimum viable token and allow the community to upgrade the tokenomics over time. Especially when you're doing something as unique as building something in Deepin, you're, you can't plan your tokenomics super in depth. Look at what Helium has, has been through, <laughs> you know, with yeah. a number of Helium improvement proposals over the last, you know, three, four years, lots of tokenomics improvements. Look at somebody like Uniswap, which has historically, despite a ton of success at the protocol layer and the token, token, you know, tokenomics, has not defined much about their tokenomics or what's how that's going to work. So, from our perspective, we said, what do we need to have in the token? Well, we need to have a you know sensible governance structure today. Minimum governance, you know, how are you going to vote? How are you going to propose 
you know, you know new new improvements and whatnot. So we, we put that in place. And we looked at the market in terms of like token allocations done by teams. We looked at sort of, you know, as you raise money and we were became VC backed, um, how much do you set aside for the insiders, the investors and the team? We chose to set aside, I would say a below average amount. We set aside about 30% for the insiders, 70% goes to the community. So that was actually quite a bit healthier, especially compared to some of the L1s that are launching these days that are reserving crazy amounts for the insiders. And then out of that community portion, out of the 70%, we set aside the majority, 40% of that for the baseline issuance. The baseline issuance are the tokens that go out to everyone who gets connected. Anyone you know who, who gets connected earns and in fact increases their share of the earnings over time with their streak. And it was really important for us to make sure that the community who and, and the users who are getting connected really do have a stake in governing and guiding the future of the network. So we kept things, I would say, fairly boring, but we wanted to make sure that we have room to maneuver in the future as, as the network actually comes to life. And most importantly, really get the community invested in it. Yeah, no, that's great. I do believe that deep in projects, they're, I, I like to say that they're quite hard to build compared to just a DeFi project because yeah, there's definitely. so many more layers, right, of things. The stack of building is much more complicated and complex than just a, like a software-based project. I mean, you guys being like shipping product, you have like customer support, you need to come up with like firmware updates. The, the, the hardware needs to connect to the blockchain. It's like the physical world is pretty, pretty complicated. And I mean, people you guys have really, been doing a great job. Uh, people really underestimate how hard it is to do hardware. <laughs> Everyone's used to like seeing their, you know, like, you know, seeing the apps on their phone or their screen like update. And it's like, oh, this app updates all the time. Like they changed the colors last week. And it's like, okay, like that's so easy to do. Like it is so hard to build a hardware device that operates properly, that has great firmware, that can be updated easily. Like it is orders of magnitude harder. And yeah, you know, that's just one of those, <laughs> it's funny, this isn't my first hardware startup either. I've, I've been in been in the, you know, as I mentioned in the IoT space before, so I've done some hardware. It's one of those just like things you have to live with if you've been at IoT and hardware companies that like everyone takes for granted how hard it is to accomplish what you're doing. And even Bluetooth, like, yeah. you know, you might have experienced the little frustration. Oh, my AirPods don't connect. Why, why aren't they connecting? Or just being weird. It is so hard to get Bluetooth right and, and make that smooth and seamless. It's really quite amazing. Yeah, and as a hardware engineer myself, I've built hardware in the past as well. And I know the pains of working with Bluetooth, also manufacturing. Each release takes a long time, right? You design the device, you send for manufacturing, you get it prototype, you test it, there's something wrong, you design it again. So this takes weeks and months comparing to like a software that you can just like keep on pushing codes every hour, for example, right? But changing subject a little bit, going back to the demo ecosystem, yeah. can you share some success stories that happened from demo? Yeah, I can share a couple of ty- two types of sh- success stories. One are the kind of, users of the demo mobile app, their success stories with our app. And then we can talk a little bit about platform level. A couple quick examples. We've seen a lot of people save some time and headache with maintenance. I know somebody who had a repair shop guy trying to sell him a new battery. And he was like, my battery looks really healthy. Look at this. Huh. Here it is in the demo mobile app. It's fine. We also had somebody who whose wife ran into car trouble. 
I, I don't recall exactly what happened with the car. She was on the side of road, had to call AAA. But because he had, and we've built into the Demo mobile app and into the protocol itself, actually, a sharing capability, he and his wife have the you know same view of the car and the Demo mobile app. And he was able to actually provide on the phone to AAA an exact GPS location of where the car was. So a couple of people have gotten a lot of really good use out of the Demo mobile app. On the platform side, we have... Uh, one one customer right now, and again, some kind of some like overlap in the in the telco world, consuming data from demo devices to build a coverage map of cellular networks in the U.S. The demo devices, the autopies, at least they are they're connecting over LTE networks. So because they're constantly broadcasting, you can use that data to create a, a cell coverage. We're also working with some companies that are interested, in, and this is where I'm, I get really excited about the kind of car focused applications interested in consuming vehicle data to streamline maintenance operations. So as a user, you would, let's say you have an error code, hit a button to share that error code with a, a company that can then fix your car. And now you've skipped the trip to the repair shop. You've you know sent them the error code. They know exactly what's wrong and uh, know what to expect when you bring the car in. No, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And that's just the beginning, right? I see so many other new exciting things is going to happen very soon. On that note, how Demo actually ensures the data privacy and security for those users' data, right? Because, like, like, like yeah. for example, you said that the guy shared with his wife and how, how the security on that sense, on that angle works. Yeah. There's a couple layers to that. Uh, privacy is one of the, you know, really most important things to us. And people don't realize the kind of um, privacy concerns that having a connected car can come with. Um, most people, if you ask them, will, will tell you it's really all about the you know, location data. So first off, you know, we, you, your, your data is not shared with anyone. Like you, your driving, Daniel, is not shared with anyone without your permission. Um, like when you sign up for the Demo mobile app, you are giving our company, Digital Infrastructure Inc., permission to sell your data in the form of aggregated data across all users. So you know, if we sell some data, you get some tokens, which is the deal that most people want. But your individual data is not recognizable in that data set. If you want to share that data with another person or a maintenance provider or some other application, you have to individually grant every single one of those permissions to that, you know, that company, that enterprise, that developer. We also take some pains to layer on additional privacy into the sort of standard encryption, standard user permissions. One is that users can create privacy zones in the application. The privacy zones, they don't completely block your location data, but they fuzz it basically, dropping a number of the digits from the lat longs. And what that means is whether it's aggregated or whether it's individual data that you're sharing, your exact you know, driving locations are gonna be fuzzed within those zones. So we know, like I've always been taught in the technical privacy is an onion, you need many layers to it. And we are building those layers, whether it's from kind of the encryption and the way that we store data, the encryption in transit to the way that it's controlled by user sharing to the privacy zones. There's many layers to the privacy involved here. And that's great. I think some, a lot of people are going to be very happy to hear that as well, because they, they, they worry about yeah. privacy. Our, our goal is that people can cut, like cut the cord, so to speak, with their automaker. Because when you have a connected vehicle account with your automaker, like I have with Toyota, they are collecting all your location data and they're sharing it with their partners. 
So I got, I got an email the other day from Toyota and it was like, Hey, progressive thinks you're a safe driver. What do you want to switch to progressive? I use Geico. And it's like, Oh, okay. So not only did Toyota collect my data, they then shared it with progressive and progressive said, Oh, we like this guy, the way he drives. And, and now they're coming after me to try and sign me up. So this data sharing is happening in the background for users. And we think that that's kind of messed up. Like we want you to be in control. You as a user might want to shop around your data. You might say, hey, progressive, all state, state farm, like everyone, here's my data. Who's going to give me the best price? And that's cool if you want to do that. But we think it's not very, it's not very user aligned if Toyota is doing that behind your back. Yeah, imagine you have a meeting in DC or just drive down from New York. And then when you get there, you got an email like, oh, now they're in DC. Why don't you enjoy this restaurant? That'd be kind of like freaky, right? Or Toyota, like partying with people. And some, some people would want that. Like some people want that and that's great. But again, coming back to the idea that, you know, as a user today with a connected car, you're locked into one policy that your automaker decides. So let's say you're with Ford. If Ford decides we want to send you notifications on what restaurant to, to go to when you drive to a new city, like you're either getting those or you're not. We think there should be much more user control. Somebody should be able to build that application and offer it to every single driver, Ford, Toyota, Tesla, and say, hey, look, we will send you notifications to your phone anytime you drive someplace that you're going. Some people would say, hell yeah, that sounds awesome. Some people would say, that sounds creepy. Keep that away from me. <laughs> and we just think it should be the user's decision. Like this shouldn't be an all or nothing. You're getting tracked or you're not. It should be up to you completely to decide whether you want to use that. Yeah, that's the bit of like crypto and Web3 and, and Deepin. Because yeah. uh, I'm sure when you sign up the user agreement from Toyota, for example, there's a lot of things in there that you probably don't agree with, right? And on, the, on that note, what is the relationship that Demo as a company have with the other car manufacturers as well, right? Because I think yeah. that's important. Two, two really important points on our philosophy about working with car manufacturers. One... When we got started, we intentionally did not partner with any of them. In fact, we sort of just said, we're going to start building. And in fact, if we have to ask any of them for permission, we're probably doing something wrong. Now, this is what wasn't in any mindset of being antagonistic. It was more just like, if we want to build a truly neutral open platform, we have to build neutrally. At this point, we've had conversations with many of the major manufacturers and there's a couple of things that those that the car manufacturers are interested in. One, they all are interested in the idea of generating more software revenue from their customers. They want to drive connectivity. That, of course, is one of the reasons they've invested in these applications. They are recognizing that there's probably going to be new emerging models around shared vehicles and shared mobility and peer-to-peer -peer rentals. And they're all trying to kind of position themselves in that world as well. What we're seeing Tesla do as, as a leader is that as they open up their developer platform, they're realizing that and leaning into the idea that other developers are going to make their car more valuable. If you can buy a Tesla and then have a choice of a hundred different applications to use, that's a lot cooler than buying Ford and getting one single application to use. And so we are having more and more conversations about this idea with automakers. It's a big philosophical shift for them. But our vision is that we have those manufacturers open up their APIs 
open up their own platforms and basically integrate those into Demo. So that let's say you do buy a Ford and it is, you know, that their platform's connected to ours, it comes more easily ready to use Demo apps or even maybe straight out of the box comes integrated and built on Demo. Yeah, I think that's that's a great vision to have. And on on the growth aspect of Demo, like what are you guys see the, as the biggest challenge for growing from 25 to 25 million cars, right? Uh, <laughs> and how do you guys think to plan to achieve that? Yeah, I touched on one earlier with just the, the ease of kind of onboarding and using Web3 products. If you put our, our product into the hands of a non-Web3 person, they'll certainly be able to get onboarded, but they will go through some steps where they're like, wait, I'm signing a transaction. What does that mean? Like, <laughs> you know, if you've, if you've onboarded, let's say a smart light switch in your home or something like you don't sign transactions and there's ways you abstract that away. Like we, we want to continue to like, just make this look and feel super buttery smooth, like any other IoT device. But I think the other challenge is that most people are unaware of what it means to have a connected car. And that's changing. Obviously, as all the automakers put out their own apps, there's, you know, people are becoming aware, but it's sort of like the early days of, of smart home tech, where people are like, what, like, what do I need a smart home for? Like, I'm going to like, turn on my lights from an app? Like, why would I do that? I'll walk <laughs> over to the light switch. And, and same thing with the TV, right? With the remote control. Right, right. It's sort of just like you need to experience the magic a little bit yourself. <laughs> and the way that that often happens, certainly the way it happened in the smart home world is like, you get a bunch of early adopters who go out and evangelize with their whole family. And they go and say, they set up their own house because they're excited by the tech. And then they're like, okay, mom and dad, I'll set you up. And in fact, we're starting to see that on Demo today. The average user connected to Demo has connected three cars. Wow. And that means, you know, to, like the average household has 1.9 cars. So, you know, people are going out there and there's evangelism that is happening. You know, there are people who are going out there and connecting their friends and family. It all just comes down to like making it easier and easier and building the snowball for it. That's amazing. I guess with that in, in mind, I want to show off my, my little device I'm holding here for yeah. people on a podcast, my little macaron device that I got from Demo to test it out. You have no idea how excited I am for having one of these and connecting my car to it that I, I think I'm going to be one of those three, the guys that have like three, I don't have three cars, but I'm definitely going to spread the word to all my friends and family and, and get them like Christmas yep. gifts and things like that, because I really think the project is super valuable. Maybe you can talk a little bit about development from Autopie into the Macaroons, because um, yep. I think Macaroon is going to be the one that you guys are going to achieve escape velocity, right? And really scale. Yeah, the, the, the Autopie device that we launched with is super cool. It's Raspberry Pi with an OBD2 connector on it. And it comes with capabilities like Wi-Fi hotspot, which we haven't launched yet. But one reason we were really excited about it is with a Raspberry Pi in the box, you can, you know, really it's, it's a fertile development ground. And in fact, you can imagine building applications that run right on the edge, right on the vehicle itself. But the, frankly, it is just overpowered for what most people need. It's great fleet product. It can process dash cam video. It's going to be an important part of our products for a long time. But the average person who just wants a little bit of connectivity, a little insight into what's going on with their car, they can use something as small as the Demo Macron. So, you know, we, we are shipping this, it's $99. <laughs> and that comes with three years of connectivity. And one of the reasons that connectivity is so cheap is because 
we're using the Helium network and you know, we're sending a very strategic set of data with each payload and we're able to deliver three years of connectivity at, at that price. The Macaron is something that, it, you know, obviously it's going to be somewhat dependent on the Helium network. We plan to ship next year a tethered Bluetooth functionality so that if you're out of range of, of the Helium IoT network, your phone will connect to the device and offload over a cellular network, and then you'll have parallel parallel tracks. So it's it's really a very, very fully featured device. And as we've seen, the Helium data is coming through super, super nicely. The network is performing well. If you live in a place like Portugal, where there's fantastic Helium coverage around the entire country, I would be surprised if you drop many, many packets. I think it's going to work really, really well in places like Portugal. I know, I know the Netherlands has a great, really, really well built out Helium network. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, I'm super excited. When I plug it in in my car, the first thing I saw was the green light, meaning that it found like lower connectivity. That was like super exciting. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, Portugal is one of the best places for a Helium network to that grew very quickly back in 2020. With us, I say we were one of the first deployers around here. And yeah, I know I got to say that the build quality of the product, the looks and the, the size, it's it's insane, right? Like think, thinking that this is like a deepen project or a deepen product, let's say, it's it's very like humbling. And it's very cool to see the, the progress that you guys build on this throughout the last, last, last year. And it was actually quite quick. And yeah, I would say like if, if one of the listeners want to buy one of those devices, I'm going to drop some links in the comments of this video or yeah. audio, depending where you are. It's a great Christmas present, I would say, for the whole family and friends, right? Um, I certainly going to try to get some of that for my friends and family and really, really get them involved in crypto and get them involved with demo. And, and this is a great way to actually onboard a lot of people to the world that we spend basically 24-7. With that in mind, do you have anything else you'd like to, to talk about? I think we've covered the, the high points, but I'll, I'll cover them again. The Demo Macron is starting to ship here this last week in November. We are actually, like the mobile team is getting ready. I don't know when people will hear this, but it's, it's November 29th. The mobile team is getting ready to push up the, the, like, the, the production build for pairing the Macron, which is super exciting. We've got some firmware updates to do, and then... We start shipping. We get to fulfill, or we're expecting rather to fulfill all the pre-orders. And then, if you order, we're thinking like it's a little bit hard to predict, but probably up until December 11th, December 12th, we are pretty sure we'll get you a device in time for Christmas. So, uh, you know, get the orders in earlier. But I do think they make great Christmas presents. Anyone who has an older car who wants to track the GPS, keep their eye on their battery, make sure they're you know not going to show up in the middle of winter and find a dead battery. Like this is the device for you. So really excited to get this out there. Really excited to showcase what it means to be building on Helium. We had amazing partners who helped us along the way with the device. And yeah, we're all super excited to bring this to the world. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for the interview, Alex. It's always a pleasure talking to you and hope to see you again soon, either in New York or in Portugal or someone else. Keep on the hard yeah. work and enjoy the holiday, hopefully a little bit. Yeah, we'll try. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.